Welcome to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I'm Christopher Dedan, founder and CEO of Devian Enterprises, Inc. We are committed to optimize people's performance with tools such as peak performance speaking, coaching, and consulting programs for a worldwide international community. We believe that the only difference between where you are and where you want to be is acquiring the knowledge you need and consistently utilizing that knowledge to become a peak performing individual in every area of your life. Stick around until the end of the show where we will reveal how you can become the next guest on the fastest growing inspirational educational podcast on the planet in 20 to 30 minutes. Let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I'm your host, Christopher Nidian, and today I have Avi Kumar, who is the founder and CEO of Kuware Incorporated, which is a marketing and advertising firm. Avi, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Chris. Great to be here. Thank you. I'm really excited to have this conversation as I'm truly, truly a fan of marketing and advertising, as well as sales, especially as an entrepreneur, because it's such a big pillar. But before we fall into all the, the aspect of the marketing side of the world, I gave a small introduction of who you are, what do you do? Do you mind unpacking that a bit more for our viewers and our listeners? Certainly, certainly. So uh, uh, my primary focus for last 14 years has been marketing and advertising. Before that, I was more in engineering, designing microprocessors for Intel. Uh, so last for, let's uh, so Kuwer is a strategy marketing agency, which means where we deliver strategy for our clients and then get into implementation. And strategy is delivered through what we call fractional CMOs. So it's a senior level executive working with the company coming up with the strategy. And and in last November we added uh, invisible PPC to our you know something I acquired, and that invisible PPC is a white label PPC service for other agencies. So we felt that was a kind of a good uh, uh, without overlapping, but in an area where we understood enough that we could take that on. And, uh, and we've been building that up for the last six months or so. And that's a very interesting business for me, not just because I acquired it, but as a marketer, it's hard to tell a client what will be the results. But Invisible PPC is the kind of first company I ran into where we work with niches where we, they have been doing work for 10 years we can tell the results in advance what you will get. So as a marketer, it's like very satisfying to have a situation where people go to a client and say, we'll tell you exactly how much it will cost you a lead and how fast you can get that. And Kuwait side, we usually tell them, you know, it'll take us 60 to 90 days. Let's work at it and we'll figure it out together. You know, very different engagement. So, okay, I was just about going to say that on the engagement side of the person that's buying your, your uh, marketing and uh, advertising needs, have you seen a significant increase in sales within your service the second that you got the PPC rolling because you're able to give more tangible statistics of how long it's going to take, what's the acquisition rate, what's the RI, uh, the return on investment for the client's investment and so on? Yes. So just uh, getting a little bit more on the, these two businesses, they do not overlap. Okay. So our customer base is actually different. Kuwait case, these are bigger corporates or, or startups where they spend are spending twenty-five to thirty thousand dollars on the marketing, and they might be spending three hundred thousand, four hundred thousand on ads. That's what Kuwait does. Now, Invisible PPC is agencies who are serving smaller clients like doctors, plumbers, 
chiropractors and others, and they need ads. So now, now I still want to answer your question that yes, so what we are able to do is we are able to tell the agency, hey, you got a plumber in Boston? Here is a number. You can go and tell them, you can get a lead for, you say $25, $25 per lead. Is that interesting? That's what Google ads can do for you, exactly. So our agencies are, so we provide this data to agencies, they close the client and then we service them. It's a purely white label, which means we do not, Invisible PPC does not deal with the end client and only talks to agencies. And uh, it's a large company. So we have hundreds of agencies truly under Invisible PPC who we serve. I love that. And Avi, as we're kind of talking about this, I want to kind of dive into the aspect of marketing and this whole advertising world for a business owner. Now, anytime that you, you start a business, and I kind of alluded to this in the beginning of the call here or the beginning of this podcast, is that there's two main pillars in business, right? There's a sales and there's marketing. Now, they're both very correlated, but there is definitely one that you potentially need to lean on a bit more than others, depending what your position is or what your job or career is in that regard. And my question is, Avi, for an entrepreneur, a green entrepreneur that just started their business, what do you think is the best thing to invest their time on? Sales, which is more grassroots effort, them picking up the call, doing prospecting, which is not demanding a lot in uh, finances, but big ROI in that return of potentially signing a client full value, but a lot more intensive on time, or having some cash flow or putting some cash aside to invest in the marketing side, which is more a passive way to increase. What would you suggest for a starting entrepreneur? Would you suggest start with one, go with the other, or both at the same time as a, a marketer? Okay, so before I come to that, let's up-level the question. The way I like to think is like like I like to think is what Drucker says. He says a business's role is just to do two, two, two things. One is innovation, every business. One is innovation, other is marketing. A business should do everything else is overhead, which by what he's talking about is operations and everything is overhead. So if it is a startup or something, innovation they have to cover, right? They got to have a product or service which is new. They know that and they do that. Then then the marketing. So sales and marketing to me are, uh, they are separate, but not that separate. Marketing's mm-hmm. job, if you ask you now reach, reaching out to your question, to me, marketing's job is primarily to help sales. Otherwise, in fact, we as a co-ware, we say don't do any marketing, which does not lift your sales immediately. So when we talk, people talk about long-term marketing, branding and everything, that's for huge companies. A small company should not spend any dollars on marketing, which does not immediately and immediately build their sales because that will be a wrong money for them to spend. So they should focus on the lead generation part of the marketing, the messaging part of the marketing, telling the sales guy, this is how it sells. These is, this is the language you need to use. This is the pain points. That is only part of them. That's the only marketing they should focus on. They should not focus on the logo, the colors, and these other things, which I consider are great, but those are for when you get bigger. Don't spend your time on uh, or energy. So to answer your question, sales is the most important thing. Anything and everything which will help them get more sales and marketing, which will do that, then do it. Otherwise, don't do it. Okay. So I, I love the way you answered that. In the beginning, I was like, wait, I'm going to do a pushback here because you just approach it as innovation, like with the base of the, the business, 100%, which is you have to have a product, you have to either solve a problem or you have to be different in the marketplace. You have to bring this value, right? Which is innovation in a yes. sense. And then yes. you're like marketing, but you're kind of associating marketing and sale 
at the same boat in the same uh, regard. So I do understand it. I do respect that. But one thing you mentioned, I really want to highlight for our listeners and our viewers to catch, because for me, it kind of stood out here. If you do not have a product to sell, or it's not clear what you're selling, do not start marketing. So if, especially if you're a new entrepreneur or you're starting your thing, Granted, just like uh, Avi, you said, you could think about it as brand awareness, brand growth and all that, but potentially you don't have the cash flow to invest in that right now. So place what you need to place within your service, get that sales aspect going. So then once you open the funnel with the uh, marketing, then you have already the systems and process in place to get your return on investment within those uh, advertising and that marketing. Is that correct? Absolutely. And other, other aspect is you've got to validate that innovation and marketing is not going to validate that innovation for you. You got to vent, you'll validate through the sales. So once mm-hmm. you have few sales, you know what they like, what they don't like. So do that, you know, down and dirty sales by reaching out to people, talking to people directly. Then you start understanding why your product works, why it doesn't work. And then marketing comes in and says, you know, this is the reason it works. Now let's message it right. This is why they care. And then now let's grow it. And I, I, we can help you with that. So Avi, I, I love that once again. Uh, one of my mentors had told me this a little while back when I started my uh, speaking and coaching career with Dead End Enterprises and everything that I do within that. Before starting any website, you have to have a minimum of 10 clients. He's like, before even hitting 10 clients, you don't even know what you're serving. You don't know yep. what they want, what they don't want. So before doing anything, you have to do those hard grassroots effort sales so you could figure out how you sit in a marketplace, what value you're bringing and what you're going to receive as information from your clients, testimonials and so on. So then you could word uh, uh, an advertising campaign with what they are looking for. So I love the fact that you highlighted that and you're very much aware of that. Now, in regards to marketing, in regards to advertising, we've definitely moved on from the uh, information age and now we're in the attention age, right? Everybody wants your attention from the social media apps to the uh, news outlets, from traditional media, from this podcast, from all over. Now, the question is, Avi, how do we stand out as entrepreneurs, as solopreneurs, as small business owners, as big business owners, compared to other companies that are potentially Fortune 500 or a lot bigger, or a lot heavier than you that have been doing it for years? So how do you stand out? when you get a client like that, what do you go in that approach when it comes to the marketing side of things? So, okay. So to answer that, I'll tell you what not to do. So there is a tendency, what we call gimmicky marketing. They come up with a fancy gimmick or a line and you suddenly sell quite a lot. It might for very short duration, but so marketing has no magic. It's actually just pure hard work. Other way I like to think of marketing is Marketing's job is to build for you these workhorses, not the unicorns. People are looking to come to uh, marketing. Oh, we did this video and suddenly we sell so much. Okay, then what next? You need these workhorses, which will work month after month after month. And what does that mean? That goes back to the product again. You got to, as a marketer, our job is, so the line I use when we engage bigger clients is, I want to know so much about your business. As a marketer, I want to know so much about your business that I can build a competing company with you and beat you. Once I know that much about your business, then only I can do a good job of marketing. Why? Because the, my primary, primary job as a marketer is understand the business thoroughly, then communicate that to the customer. So, so the differentiation which you're asking about actually comes from the product and service, mm. not from the magic of the marketing. Marketing's job is to just communicate it in a way where it will resonate with people. 
but not from their job is not to come up with a, uh, you know, if, if you have a product which makes rain, you cannot say it rains wine because there is marketer. If you say that, well, you might sell too. What happens next, right? So our job is to clearly understand the value proposition and communicate in a way where it resonates as a marketer. So this seems like kind of counter marketing when you hear, but I can tell you all our success comes from this by actually being true or grounded and understanding the business and conveying. So we are not looking for, so now when people want to say, oh, just go to TikTok, go to something new. These things keep come and go. The channels will change, the digital will change, but the basis, what your product does, why they like the product and how you want to sell it. Is it priced right? Can you be charging more and still get away with it? Because is it like one rule I have is if you're getting more than 80% are saying, wow, it's amazing. You need to increase your price. That's the marketer's job to come and tell you that. There's too much, too many of them are saying, they were like, enough of like this, wow, wow, wow. Increase the price. 80% you're leaving money there on the table, right? So those are the kind of the things like understand the need and fulfill the need and do the right messaging as marketing and find who needs it. That's marketer's job. Where are the targets? Where do they live? How to get to them? Which channels are they of the age group where they are on TikTok or are they? That's marketers will find that out. So you find the channels on later, but it always goes back to what is the product or service? Really, really understand that. And that's where the understanding comes usually from the owners if they're startup. If they, when they did the 10 sales, we asked them who bought it? Why did they buy it? Ask those guys. And if we don't have that, usually, in fact, we will not engage. I will not engage with a customer who says, I've got a startup, I've got an idea, and I've never sold anything. I'm going to say, yeah, you kind of need to experiment with it. I'm not the company to help you. Mm. I cannot figure out your product, right? So, 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 so it is, it is, uh, so our, so the magic sauce is basically uh, just genuinely, genuinely understanding. And it is easier said than done, by the way. So when I say, it does take an effort. It takes weeks and months to really, I mean, I, I'll give you another example is we engaged with a company. They make, uh, they wanted to sell bread online because in COVID, everybody wanted to, some famous bread makers, they wanted to engage online. I immediately, before their first meeting, ordered bread from them and their competitors, four or five of them. I wanted that at my home and see what it looks like. So when before my first meeting, I knew, hey, how they package, and I have pictures of their package versus theirs and their bread versus, and then I said, now explain to me why your bread is better. And I can learn quite a lot. One of the things they told me is their bread doesn't keep. It doesn't have, the good bread doesn't have shelf life. If you buy bread in a regular store, they put chemicals in it, which gives it shelf life. I didn't know all this. So I could not ask those questions if I don't look at the product and service. Other one was, other example is beer, beer sorts. The company came to us. They just wanted images and ads for it. I ordered, I went to the store, ordered every beer sorts. I don't even drink beer, by the way. So I said, I'm going to put it on, you know, in my lemonade or something and see what it tastes like. Got to understand that. Then translate that to a message, right? And enough marketers just kind of stay away from that. They just kind of say, oh, I've got a magic. I've got, yeah, I've got this funnel. I've got this. Yes, that can be built, right? You've got to understand the product and the service. Truly, truly. And then you can create the magic, if at all, if it's magic. I think it's just hard work. No magic. But uh, it appears magic when you start getting the growth, you know, what, what is being done. Okay, Avi, I love the way that you broke that down. I'm going to do my best over here to kind of highlight certain elements of it that I really want the listeners and viewers to catch. So first and foremost, you mentioned one thing not to do is that ideology of that catchy ad, or that's the one thing that's going to make it blow up. 
I think this is, like you mentioned, a marathon. It's a long game. And to make it as a long game, you have to understand the first thing, which I truly believe is correlated with sales. You have to understand and believe and know your product in and out or service. And if you're able to understand and know it, then you're able to sell it in such a more eloquent way because you know what the people want, you know how to speak about it. And that's what you're doing, Abby, when you're meeting up with these companies, like the example you give of the bread people or even the beer people, you order it before to really know what is this product? What am I going to sell here? What is the difference between this bread compared to another bread? Learning about it. And then once you understand that, then you're able to go about really, really, really selling it or communicating it to a clientele that needs that. Because I'm guessing that bread that was like sent is still for potentially more affluent clientele because if the bread is more higher quality, it's yeah, it's an expensive yep. bread, I'm sure, which is a luxury item, right? So yep. you have to market it knowing, hey, is this luxury? Then we market it to this. So there's all this knowledge towards it. And you kind of alluded to the previous conversation of like, even if you get clients that are like, hey, I want to do this with you guys, but haven't sold anything. You're like, no, let's go figure out your sales first. Understand what that aspect is before we start marketing. So I love the fact that you're still true to that. Uh, Avi, my next question over here, as we're kind of going into the marketing and advertising world uh, of things, I do know that you've been growing businesses and it's very clear that you are uh, succeeding in that regards. And one of your strengths is you're building resilient teams. I want you to talk about a bit more resiliency within the teams. How many uh, employees do you have? How do you keep a culture, a business culture? How was it during the COVID times? Talk to me a bit about that and the resilience mindset of a team for your business to succeed. Certainly. So that, that's uh, I. My past experience is working at companies like Motorola and Intel, managing large enough large teams. So I did have the corporate experience when I came. So one thing I realized is that larger companies they have the money. So you know they will say you can pick your chair, you can pick your computer, and all. You know, and your desk gets resized for you before you go in. And but when we go to smaller companies, there is a tendency. Like when you start up, like, oh, yeah, just kind of yeah, pick any computer, get the cheapest one. And, uh, and, and especially when I started building team in India. So we have a subsidiary in India. So I started building in India. So when I went and visited India uh, uh, and I said, oh, where will we get the office space? So uh, initially we wanted to rent. And this is what I, it's a third world country. I'm of Indian origin. But the way I checked is I took uh, a, one of the uh, female employees with me. I said, hey, just go and check out the bathrooms of the building. So good way to check a building is just check out the bathrooms. How clean are the bathrooms? If the bathrooms are clean, then probably the maintenance will be good. I want you to check out the women's bathrooms also. Are they safe and clean? So I started with that mindset that, and then other thing was, I noticed that everybody in India, they get a little desktop with a little monitor. I said, no, everybody who works for me will have a, like a US, a laptop and a second monitor and a desk if they want a standing and this thing. This is a luxury in India. It's quite expensive, relatively speaking. But I found by doing that, once they come to us, and especially the ones, never mind the fresh ones, but the ones uh, uh, probably lesser of the fresh, fresh out from school, but anybody who's worked in four or five years somewhere, when they come to us say, oh, wow, this is a different company. I'm in India, but like they're treating me really nicely. And they just don't want to go. Salary is not a point anymore, right? And then, of course, you want to pay them salary. And it's easy to afford 20% higher salary in India. We know that, so why try to squeeze that? So whatever is the market rate, just give them everybody 20% more than that. 20% is not that much when it comes to, if you're hiring in India, right? And, and But people try to squeeze that and give them like, the other thing which I said is, hey, you want, like Intel used to do it, like you want any course, you want books, we'll pay for it. Initially, it seems like 
oh, really? It's going to be expensive. How many people buy books? But the fact you say that and two or three will buy, they love it. There's a company like, you want any course on Udemy? We'll pay for it. You pick the course. I don't care. Even if you want to learn music, you want any book, we'll pay for it. Just, you know, just send us the bill or here's a credit card, get it. So that thing, I started because maybe I came from the larger company and maybe I was naive. I wanted to give them, I said, everybody should have healthcare. You know, even if it is, I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do the contractor kind of a business. I don't want hourly rate. I want employees. So even as a small company, this is, I'm talking about when we're starting like four or five people, even there we said, are we going to behave like we're building a big company? And that I didn't realize, maybe I was naive, but that really had paid back in years. And so this is, this is what has happened. We have had office. We have been in business for 14 years. Um, and we have had only three employees in 14 years who actually quit. Rest, they didn't match, we fired. And even including India. India is like Silicon Valley in 2000. People quit all the time for 10% more, 20% more. It's like a growing country. So we have only had three people quit. And out of those three, two Behind the scenes, we felt that eh, they should be probably let go, right? So they were, they were thinking, but they were like on the borderline. So, and, and that is to me, I'm very proud of that. So I reach out, so culture-wise, this is what I tell them. Uh, and uh, this is something which recently been emphasizing that they say, hey, this is not a, people say, oh, we are a family. I said, no, we are a business. We are not a family. Families don't fire people. We as a business have to fire people at times. Then there is this concept that we are a community. No, we are not a community. In community also, people come together to lay together their rules. We are like a team, like a sports team. Everybody has a job. You've got to work together. Sometimes we have to change players to win the game, which means we have to hire. And you might find a better team to join and work there and, 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 and do better there. Teams trade people. And and same way, if you go somewhere else, we want to still be friends. We want to be known. I want anybody who leaves or we let go, we will help them find a job. We will help them place somewhere if we have to, because they are not a good match. Doesn't mean they're not a good match for anybody. So having this mindset, again, I kind I think I started naively at saying, oh, yeah, it's okay, it doesn't that much. But it was very quick. Feedback was so quick. The people, when they responded to the message, I said, okay, this is our system. This is how we're going to do it. You know, so we build the system without actually thinking through, like kind of starting without, with all the great ideas. And at the same time, not ever promising or claiming, oh, we are never going to fire people. We'll do it. No, we are realistic. We are a company. That allowed us to do really well in COVID. Starting of COVID, we came to a point where we said, you know, we might have to all take 25% pay cut or we have to let go some people, right? And, and so we have to make this decision. And we came to that. We told everybody, fortunately for us, uh, 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 things changed. Within a month or two in COVID, actually more business started coming in. Turned out uh, COVID was good for online marketing, actually, in many ways. So we did not have to do the cuts. But the people were aware and they had been working and they said, yeah, that's fine. If that's what we got to do, we realized. So that was one change. Other thing of resilience, which is an example for us, is that we, uh, I mean, like I'm in office in Austin and I was firm believer in office culture or come to office. That's what I've done always. Of course, COVID happened. We cannot come to office. And I had no clue how this is going to work, especially uh, US team still maybe can work fine. I was thinking, how the heck is going to work this in India? We have, not, they are just not used to working from home. They don't have a space at home. How will it work? And uh, turned out 
the they were team players. They worked out. We just said we're going to buy everybody a table and share. That's we will pay for it. We will pay for internet. We will go ahead and get the fastest internet. In fact, uh, it's a it's funny now. The internet of most of my team members in India is two three x faster than what I can get in US. <laughs> so so it's like we were worried about all these things, and it worked out. And then we were worried about how we'll be track and everything. Turned out there was no problem. Uh, everybody. So now, of course, uh, now that we have learned, we found it back. It's cheaper in many ways, right? So we have we are going to the hybrid model. So a lot of things has been through learning, with initially a little worry for us also that how will this work? Now we are screwed. This will not work. But it has worked out uh, quite well. Even in Austin now, we do come back to office now. Uh, some of us, but rest are working from home. And we started other thing which happened, which is nice is because of COVID, we started instead of hiring only in Austin, Texas, we started hiring nationally and nationally hiring is actually cheaper i hear right now from a lot of people that oh, it's so difficult to hire we haven't found that problem at all of hiring it's actually easier to hire right now there are enough people who don't want to go back to office and they have greatly qualified and they are living in a small town somewhere where they want it to be it's perfect so i i feel like hey there's no problem i mean just it's a it's a it's a great opportunity we would have not known that I'm not saying is I knew this a priori. It just COVID allowed us to learn and mm. we have adapted. But those rules and things we have or the culture we have, we have not changed. We have not changed. Uh, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the funny one we have is, I think I might have a Rubik's Cube there, that we require everybody to do a Rubik's Cube who works for Kuwait. Everybody, even if they are administrator, they have to know how to do Rubik's Cube under five minutes. And it started out a little bit as a joke, a little bit as a fun uh, five years back, but it's turned out a great separator for us. First, they feel like, oh, this is a hard thing. I did it, especially if they are non-technical kind. And then it is also a sign for us that they are dedicated enough, resilient enough that they're going to work with it. It takes time. If you don't know how to do it, it's going to take you three weeks to learn it, right? And somebody who's willing to do that before they get hired shows us that, hey, they are serious, Right. So it's now it's become a requirement that you cannot start working here before you can solve a cube in under two minutes, uh, under five minutes. So we're not okay. looking for world record. Just do it under five minutes. And, and then that's a requirement. So these these small, small things like give them what they want, figure out. And I really like Gary Vaynerchuk's idea that uh, I followed him that uh, he says a lot of things is like he's being uh, too nice to everybody. But one of two things he has said is amazingly good. One of the ones I really like is. Every employee wants something out of the company. Some want higher and higher salary. Some want just say, be appreciated. Find that out. Give them that. If you give them that, they're never going anywhere. And everybody's need is different. And, and, and when we are uh, like just being a few dozen people, it's possible for us right now to do that still. And if you become a larger company, probably will be harder. But right now, it's, it's, it's a, we kind of know well who wants what, and we try to give them that while they're working with us. Okay, Ivy, I mean, you just dropped some great knowledge over here, some golden nuggets everywhere. And once again, I'm going to highlight certain things. I want to have some more, uh, a bit more, uh, some questions on uh, some other. But quick fire question. You said something in the beginning. Was the bathroom in that Indian office clean? You did not, you did not talk about that. You made your assistant go check that out. Was it finally a clean place? Oh yeah, finally what we settled with, because there was, I wanted the women's, I checked out the men's, but I wanted them to also check the women's one. So the, she went and checked the women's. And that was our criteria to figure out, is it a good office building? In awesome. India, right? You know, awesome. So that's, yeah, so that, that worked out very well. So we ended up getting a great building. 
So I, w- I was thinking about that. That's why I'm like, hey, I just wanted to ask you that. Uh, okay, so you mentioned a couple of things in regards to how to build a resilient team. First and foremost is you're bringing value to your team members. Like you said, if you're looking at India and you're like, hey, it doesn't matter that uh, you know we, we could pay a bit more. Let's go ahead and get sit-stand desks. Let's go get, it, get b- bigger screens because not only that, those things are proven that they do increase your productivity. So you're investing, yeah. but it, it, it's great for the, the return on the business as well. Not only that, you're giving services that make them want to stay, that make them like being there. Such as, like you said, you want to buy a book, buy it, we'll pay for it. You want to buy a course, buy it, go for it. So you're you're developing this growth mindset, this personal development mindset within your employees. Furthermore, one thing that I really liked, and we will allude back to it in a second here, is that you don't look at your business as a family because you do not fire people within your family. You're looking at it as a sports team. And within the sports team, everybody has a specific role and a task. And if everybody does their role and their task as a unit, we'll have a chance to succeed and win. And sometimes you might just need to trade somebody to another team or get somebody else that's a better fit for your organization and team. So I love that aspect. And I'm going to return back to that. Last couple of things here that I highlighted. The Gary V ideology of finding out what does your employee want out of the business? What is their goal? Is it to get a higher position? Is it to get knowledge? Is it to move on after X amount of years? Is it a bigger salary? X, Y, and Z. Figure that out. So at least you know what their target is and you could support them within that target if it's possible for them to get it. So I love that approach. Definitely going to lean more to that. And finally, one of my, my, my favorite things that you kind of alluded to in regards to building resilient teams. Everybody that's going to work for you has to be able to do a Rubik's Cube on their five minutes. Now, what that entails is, I don't know if anybody has tried to do a Rubik's Cube over here. I'm sure many have. It's not an easy task, but it's not an impossible task. The only difference from not being able to do it to being able to do it is taking the time you need to learn the tools, to learn the knowledge, to be able to do it. You could just go online and figure it out. Once it shows you that they're serious, they did it and they worked on it, it just shows you that they have a great resiliency. They know how to go get the information and they know how to put that information in practice and stick with it long enough to develop it. So you know what? I'm going to be very honest, Avi, if you permit, I'm going to use, I don't know if it's going to be a Rubik's Cube, but I'm going to use that trick within my business as well because I truly believe it is a great, great way to, to differentiate yourself as a resilient team. Now, let me go back to one thing. And this is like one of the last questions I want to ask you here because we are coming to time. You mentioned the sports and family analogy, which I truly love, like I highlighted. So my next question to you in that regards is, what do you believe in working with people within your business that are family members? Do you believe in family member uh, employees or yes. you're somebody that's like, no, 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 don't mix business and, and family because I've always gotten either or. I see great companies working yes. in family and it works out for them. And I see other people that it completely destroys families because of money, because of this, because of that, greed, ego, call it whatever you want. What's your ideology within that? So uh, we had a situation in India, not direct family, but extended family members. Two reasons. One, once you have a successful business, I'm the supposedly the rich uncle in America, not the rich, but from their point of view, successful uncle in America and all these far off cousins, they want to work in my company in India, right? So that is the thing we dealt with. So this is the rule we did. So we assigned, of course, the smaller levels, it doesn't matter, but we're talking about the higher levels. So we had a senior level employee uh, who was a uh, cousin for long. So this is the line I use with everybody including the employees, when we hired that person. We said, hey, 
he is family. I want everybody to know there is nothing, no hidden agenda. But I want the employees under him and at this level know that I'll be happy to keep paying him salary on the side and keep it up, keep him at home versus keep him at company if he messes things up in the company. So the idea was very simple. I'm supporting a family member. So it's okay. I'm admitting openly that I hired because of the family member. But if that family member cannot work with the company culture and creates any kind of a problem, the way I'm going to support them is I'm going to pay them personal salary, but they will not mess my company culture up. This message to the employees went well because they realized they are nobody special. And it went to that family member well also. That what Avi is saying is that he is happy to support me personally, but he cannot just, just because I'm a family member, I cannot be just the top boss and push around, push things around. So now that's more of on a level like that. But maybe your question is also pertaining to when they come in as a partners or at that level. C-suite, yeah. You know, yeah. At, at the C-suite level, I think it's a very, very personal decision. Uh, uh, I had worked with my daughter earlier with the intention when she graduated, she was very, uh, she graduated at, from UT with a marketing degree. She graduated in three years and four, smart girl. So my immediate thing is, man, come on, just come in. It's a family business and, and you can grow. And uh, so, so that is the closest I came, that kind of a situation. So what I learned is that they, if it can work, if you get along well enough and it can work, I think it's a very, very personal choice. Then do it. Otherwise, don't. She worked for me for a few years and she said, you know, this is not my thing. I want to work in outside companies. You know, she worked outside companies, came and worked for me, was very good and went, went back because my thing was, oh, just I'm going to hand it over. She'll take it over and slowly, <laughs> this is perfect. You know, so I think it's a very, very personal choice. If you do get along without messing up the relationship, but this is what one thing I want to bring it up, though. If you think you're going to leave business at work, uh, in office and not bring it home, especially if, you, if it's a family member, is a spouse or somebody, or even other, a kid or something, it's not going to happen. In small businesses, you bring business home. There's no way to separate. That, that line is not there. So at the dinner table, the discussion will come up. So be ready for that. Because anybody who says, oh, we never discuss business at home. For a small business, there is no difference between business and home. It is, it is what it is, right? Uh, unless you reach a size of a 400, 500 people company, then it's a different story. You could possibly do that. But at the levels we are talking about, the business will come home. If you are comfortable with that and you can deal with that, then work with the family members. So I think it's a very, very personal choice uh, how, whether this will work or not. I love the way that you explain that because that is very true. It's I don't think it's one general answer. It really depends case by case. But one thing that you did clarify is that if you are going to bring a family member in, it has to be very clear what their tasks are, what their roles are. If this is us within business and then this is us being cousins, family, father, daughter, whatever the case is, kind of separate that line and change that hat and make it very uh, aware and uh, eloquent. But like you said, you have to be very aware because it's not with everybody that you could work and it's not with everybody you should work. And that is exactly the same for family members. So Avi, I love the fact that you kind of alluded to this. This was definitely a great conversation. You gave a lot of knowledge in uh, uh, marketing, uh, advertising, as well as how to build team culture on the latter part of this call. So my next question to you is my last one is if somebody's interested to work with you uh, to get uh, uh, their company served by your marketing agency, so on and so forth, where's the best place they could reach out to you? 
So the email uh, is a great way. Rv at kuwaire.com is uh, one way. And of course, LinkedIn is the other. Uh, in the social media network, I'm more on LinkedIn than any, any other place. So LinkedIn Perfect. will be a great place to uh, connect with me. Otherwise, the email is absolutely welcome as well. And LinkedIn, I'm guessing it's your full name, right? Yeah, it's Avi Kumar. Yeah, so it's a LinkedIn slash LN slash Avi Kumar. Avi, A-V-I Kumar. That's Beautiful. That's yeah. So everything will be in the show notes below. So Avi, once again, thank you very much for being on the show. Uh, to all the viewers and listeners, thank you for listening to this great conversation. And I will see you guys on the next podcast. Have a great day. Ciao, ciao. All right. Thank you, Chris. Bye. Christopher Devian here. Thank you so much for listening to the Peak Performance Fitness Show. If you're a successful entrepreneur or entrepreneur who would like to be on this program, please visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot of your phone, text it to a friend, or post it on the socials. If you know somebody that could be a great guest, please tag them on social media to let them know about this program. And don't forget to include the hashtag Peak Performance Greatness. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We regularly put out new episodes and content. To make sure that you don't miss any episode, go ahead and click that subscribe button. Your thumbs up, rating, and review go a long way to help us promote this show, and it would mean a lot to me as well as my team. You want to know more? Go ahead and visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or my YouTube channel at Christopher Didier. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time. Have a blessed and grateful day.